Hello, hello, and welcome to another hometown daily news show. I am Marawat, and now oh, this is the hometown daily news show for February 23, 2023. Tonight's episode is titled Sons of the Forest Sets Steam on Fire. We've got 11 articles today. First one's going to be a bear escapes from uh, St. Louis Zoo. Different bear. Sons of the Forest sprints to the top of the Steam's bestseller list. And it, I've been watching it happen. So, yeah, it seems like it's uh, running up the charts really quick. We have uh, an article about rural communities that shun newcomers even when they need them. And why do they do this? Steam sale events, a complete list for 2023, apparently. How one company in Pakistan recycles over a million pairs of jeans every year. New details emerge from the uh, Ohio train derailment. A new Dr. Seuss story is coming out. It's the, what would you call it? The, what's that ice train? Snowpiercer. Yeah, it's the Snowpiercer of the Grinch Who Stole Christmas. Uh, First baby pangolin in Europe born. Uh, salad short sh- I can't say the word salad shortages in the UK she sells seashells by the salad shortages Florida man impersonates general counsel in a law firm and uh, dream dreamlight valley players are investigating a potato mystery for months let's get into all of these and probably more Hello, hello. You know what? I'm going to do something real quick. Bunk, 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 and bunk. I am Marwat. That is hometown.com. My lighting was wrong because I was doing other things prior to the show. This is how the sausage is made. As usual, Twitch is saying that I am unstable. And the AI from on high, the one, the only AI. Good evening, hometown citizens up that can no okay anyway so today has been an interesting day and i would normally just start ranting and give some preamble about what's been happening and all the things that are going on in hometown but i'm not going to do that today i'm just going to sit there and say what i'm not going to do then i'm not going to do it but by doing that i did it let's get into the articles today very first article I promised it was going to be about a bear maybe a different bear it's this bear a bear escaped St. Louis Zoo for second time this month it's been the 280 it says pond there's a typo in the articles little snippet a 280 pound Andean bear which you know what bear is a euphemism and a 280 pound Andean bear doesn't dispel that euphemism. So anyway, and even the whole, this whole snippet just doesn't do away with the imagery that I am conjuring up. Some dude named Ben, a 280 pound Andean bear who was outside his enclosure for 50 minutes on Thursday before being tranquilized and safely returned. 
this is basically something that could happen in downtown Manhattan for crying out loud, let alone an actual zoo in St. Louis, but that's what it was. It's an actual bear. Let's go over to Newsweek. That is not a bear. That looks like a hippo, which again, that's even more different euphemism. Um, so a bear escaped St. Louis zoo for second time this month, Caitlin Lewis over at Newsweek wrote this article. I, I don't know what's going on with this video, so I'm not even going to bother playing it, but there we go. St. Louis zoo bear getting out second time picking the lock. Uh, there's no reason to believe there was any human fault or tampering that led to the bear's escape out of its outdoor habitat, read the post, which was published a day after the bear's first escape. Instead, it would appear that the very curious bear meddled with the steel mesh in just the right spot for the outdoor habitat, causing a cable to give way, which then allowed the bear to work his way out. So you're going to keep your bears caged. Use a proper lock. And still doesn't dispel the euphemism. You want to move on to the next one or do you want to talk about a bear? Well, I just think it's interesting that a bear's enclosure, which a bear is probably one of the most serious animals that they don't want to escape from the zoo. If it can get out, I'm a little worried about the, uh, <laughs> the materials that they're using in the enclosures and the locks. No, it's held by a pin, apparently. Just a little wire mesh and a pin. I think that it needs to be a little bit more secure. The zoo it plans- It reminded me of the lockpicking uh, lawyer. <laughs> oh yeah, really, the lockpicking lawyer. I wonder if he would actually sit there and and go, well, this is really tough for a human, so a bear make it secure. No, I mean, this is ridiculous. The The zoo plans on consulting with other accredited parks, apart from the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, to come up with new ways to keep their bear inside its enclosure. <laughs> uh, I mean, aren't other zoos keeping their bears in? <laughs> They br they create a whole uh, advisory committee of um, multinational organization, and uh, everybody basically holds up a padlock. There you go. That's that's how you keep your bears inside. Let's move on to the next article. But before I do, I need to throw this into the chat so that you can follow it. Uh, it'll be in the VOD, it'll be over in the YouTube uh, show notes, it'll be in the podcast show notes. Go and check it out. And the next article is about uh, Sons of the Forest, which is the uh, follow-up game from The Forest, which was a very good seller. Um, has a really good history on Steam. But apparently, Sons of the Forest sprints to the top of Steam's bestseller list following brief launch delay, and it actually may have led to uh, kind of an outage, a brief disruption of Steam. 
Sons of the Force didn't launch on Steam or on, yeah, on Steam at 9 a.m. Pacific today when it was supposed to. About an hour later, it became available uh, to purchase so long as you didn't run into error messages. Whatever was clogging up Steam's or Steam uh, Valve's, my goodness, whatever was clogging up Valve's store seems to have been cleared out now as the early access survival game has hopped from the top of Steam's most wish list to the top of its best seller list. And indeed, I have I have it in my wish list and, and now it is number one in the best sellers list, knocking Company of Heroes 3 into second place. And what's interesting is that um, Sons of the Forest has about 2000 or so reviews already and it started this morning um and the the biggest one that i have seen so far is um uh hogwarts legacy which has over a hundred thousand reviews on steam but it's sold nearly um I, I, I don't know if I'm reading this right, but hundreds of millions of dollars worth of <laughs> the game. Almost a billion dollars is what I read somewhere. Well, at the time of the writing, Sons of the Forest has well over 200,000 concurrent players. And I think that might actually be uh, low, but I haven't pulled up the numbers for... Um, the number of go ahead 850 million for Hogwarts Legacy yeah dollars yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not sales <laughs> no that's what I'm saying it's, it's just over three quarters of a billion dollars right yeah so this is that's a massive amount, even with the blowback from the controversy around J.K. Rowling's, uh, you know, transphobia statements. Um, it's still way up there. And then Sons of the Forest just comes out of the gate and rises straight to the top. Um, I, I've been watching people play this. I haven't purchased it yet, but I will end up purchasing this because it's kind of a survival build. Well, not kind of. It is a survival builder game um, and multiplayer co-op. So you can have multiple players playing it. Um, apparently, they've updated the article to say that the co-op survival game is now available in early access and already has over 250,000 concurrent players. Um, so this is uh, on par with uh, Hogwarts Legacy. Uh, Tyler Wild over at PCGamer.com wrote this article. Did you want to add something? No, that would bank it at about $7.5 million in sales. I think. Wait, what? Did I calculate that correctly? Uh, 200,000 concurrent players. Oh, well, that's not the same as number of downloads, so... Not totally. I mean, concurrent players, it says here 250,000 concurrent players. That doesn't necessarily mean the total number of purchases, but 
if you multiply the 250,000 times the 30 bucks for it, then yeah, you end up with uh, 700,000. So, um, so, or 7 million, sorry. So yeah, it, it's uh, quite a big chunk of money. Uh, I've liked what I've seen. The It has an interesting building mechanism where you choose what you want to build and then you go and get resources and you populate it. I've seen stuff like that with other games, but not, um, I guess, a first-person survivor, a survival builder game. Normally, it's like an isometric game where resources are gathered up and then they come over. I don't think it's really going to be able to show. It doesn't show any of this. Um, the video that's playing has nothing to do with... Um, uh, Sons of the Forest. Oh, and it's interesting that this article actually says there are more play, more people playing Sons of the Forest on Steam than Hogwarts Legacy. Um, that isn't the original title uh, for this link. <laughs> They've redirected it after an update uh, to say more people are playing Sons of the Forest on Steam than Hogwarts. That's interesting. And uh, normally that's, that's spectacular, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, but this is one that's kind of easy to get into. Um, it's half the cost. It's replayability, I think, is pretty much off the chart because you can have other people playing with you. And it changes the nature of the game. Because um, you can imagine if. You have one person that's really fun and and uh, goofing around a lot and and kind of disarms the stress and horror nature of this because there is there's basically kind of <laughs> I don't know freaky people that are in this um, that want to kill you and then there's what looks like monsters and and other things in this game. Um, you have somebody that's just fun and goofing around and you're not going to be afraid of anything. But then if you get somebody that changes that ambiance to being cautious and, and building that stressful atmosphere, then you're going to be wetting your pants periodically as things jump out of the woods and try and kill you. So it's a lot of fun. Um, so I'll end up getting it and maybe I'll stream it. I, I just don't know. Uh, I haven't been streaming any games lately. Um, or I should say at all, I haven't streamed any games really, um, since starting the, the channel, but I really do want to, uh, it's just a matter of time you know, trying to run hometown is tough. Um, did you want to add anything else to it? Yeah. The article said that it was already the most watched game on Twitch. I don't know during what period of time or ever or whatever, but I thought that was interesting since it just came out. Yeah, that is pretty interesting. Uh, but uh, I'll admit I was watching it before the show started. So um, the next article, though, is over in the Mobile Channel. Why do rural, small rural communities often shun newcomers even when they need them? It says here in this little snippet, do you remember a time when you and your friends started a secret club and didn't let anyone else in? Well, that's kind of like that in some of these small rural communities even though these communities really need to attract and keep newcomers. Some long-standing residents belong to a special locals club. 
many newcomers often or sorry who moved from the cities in recent years would like to know this all too well or do know this all too well so uh, I have my particular hot take on this, and that is rural communities actually don't want to be deeply entrenched in the uh, more social aspects of society um, with a plurality of people that aren't necessarily tightly like-minded, right? And uh, my research has shown that I can pretty much predict um, the political leaning of a state based on population density alone. Um, it's you, that, that threshold is different to each state because each state has a, an historical culture. Um, and there have been times in society, in the history of the United States where either the political alignment has shifted dramatically, um, like a polar shift in ideology, yeah, even the names changing um, or something has happened wherein everybody bought into whatever the political agenda was at the time, right? So uh, um, a Republican president and everybody votes for that Republican president a la like uh, 2001 um, or some other um, great intent was found and so everybody went you know democrat um but i have without a doubt found that i can find a threshold where the population density changes from rural community red to densely populated blue and uh, i can do that within any state the only thing that throws it out of easy understanding is the historical culture of the state. So if it's deeply religious, it will stay uh, typically red. Um, and that actually aligns with what my findings are, which is if you are too outside the like-minded ideology, you will not be part of the in group. And that's a sociological force. There's in groups and there's out groups. This is basic sociology 101. And if you're not part of the in group and somebody hasn't endorsed you to become a member of this in group, you are on the outs. And that's what a newcomer is to a rural community. And you really have to ingratiate yourself into the locals. Um, ideological bent because if you come off too distant they will not warmly receive you so let's see if my prediction is right because i haven't read any of this and i don't know what the ai thinks about this um, i know from experience that the ai will not typically uh, make a snap judgment consumes a lot of information before making any comment about it but i um, have noodled around with this quite a bit for the last four years six years um, and so i'm comfortable making my statements this article is over at fizz.org selena ham from the conversation um, wrote this article there's a picture here it says something about tree changers parasites and rude something i don't know what that is um, 
go back to the city is written on a gate. And uh, I think the context is going to be inside this uh, article, but it says, uh, there's a big introductory paragraph. And then it says my research to understand the experience of newcomers in small towns found a few common themes in what happened to them. It found social identity was a factor that can often in inhibit um, progress, resilience, and acceptance of change in rural social, rural social groups. Um, locals are regarded as the legitimate residents and often have greater local power and privilege status. And that's a perception of the in-group. That's my comment, not their comment. Um, they can be used to calling the shots for the community. They may hold back change by undermining or failing to accept or support new people, their ideas, or businesses. So if a newcomer comes in, hangs a shingle, and starts trying to work, the uh, old guard may drive the forces uh, away from the new business um and this is actually i'll give you an example of something that we actually spoke about in our previous episodes the entire state of wyoming issuing evs and hobbling sales of evs to protect the oil and gas companies and infrastructure that's in place and and, and saying that ev development would harm the grid which is absolutely absurd, um, but it is exactly this. New businesses, new ideas, new people being shunned and undermining or failing to accept new people, ideas, and businesses. So the person asked um, 89 residents and recent residents in two rural Queensland communities with populations under 2,000 and the locals say newcomers and outsiders don't have a right to say anything about the town and certainly not make changes. They question their social legitimacy and tell stories of their inferiority as residents. And this smacks directly of Marjorie Taylor Greene's claim that if you are an outsider moving into a state that is quote unquote red, you should not be allowed to vote on state issues for two to five years, <laughs> um, which is absolutely absurd. And everybody that has done any research into um, sociological forces and socioeconomic forces realizes that densely populated areas shift to blue. And if you take those higher density locations, they equate to about 70% of the total GDP. And so it's not a quote unquote red state. It is a rural area that is um, a, a broad swath of land. And because of that, the counties are larger. But when you get closer to population density increases, the counties are broken up more so that there are different amounts of people in these counties and thus independent leaders controlling certain areas. But these blue regions are much more liberal and because of that diversity, they do a tremendous amount of business. So if anybody were to actually propose something 
about breaking out red from blue, you really can't just go by state. You would have to go by county. And if you do that, you would hobble the state because it's the, the blue regions that are typically highly um, productive. Um, it just happens to be rural is where food comes from. And that's because you need large swaths of land. So these newcomers are disruptive and the old school comfort of the rural regions. Well, they're not happy about that, right? So how are they undermined? In uh, one town, a newcomer became a leader of a business group. They had experience, energetic, access grants, and, and uh, consulted develop a plan. And then problem after problem was found with it. It was suggested the whole process begin again. They couldn't move the business community forward to adopt the plan. And quote unquote, they wore him down uh, because he was not local. So how do you really protect against that? You have to do, you have to fake it till you make it. You have to ingratiate yourself into the society. If you plan on changing it, um, you had better not be obvious about it um, because that will be sussed out pretty easily. Um, did Have you uh, read anything in here that you'd like to make a comment about or? You know, it just seems like, I mean, from a societal standpoint, there's really no benefit. And even from an individual standpoint, there's arguably no benefit to this because aren't they harming the very towns that they're supposedly trying to protect? Um, I mean, they obviously need new people and new money to come in and businesses so that the town thrives, etc. In addition to the non-tangible benefits of having diverse ideas and, and things along those lines. Well, think of it the way that they're thinking of it, which is if you disrupt stuff the wrong way and you corrupt the social order, not only do they lose influence, but you're changing the very nature of the environment. So if they are comfortable there and they've been there for 30, 40, 50 years, you coming in and infusing it with your energy and your uh, uh, progressive ideas, it's going to disrupt the calm, the solemnity of the place. Well, we have always been this way and we want to stay this way, which means no, they don't want your money. They don't want your energy. They don't want your ideas. Now, if you were to insinuate your way into their life and make them be the idea generator and you don't take credit for it and you make it so that it isn't this abrupt shift, then you can have a rather cosmic change to the environment. And oddly enough, as the old guard dies off naturally from just existing for 70, 80 and 90 years, that influence changes and the new guard 
slowly shifts the culture over to something that might be deemed as progressive versus stasis in the old way. Um, and there's a whole idea in business regarded as a change agent as a person that comes into the enterprise and disrupts it in such a way that you move forward and break the hegemony that's in there. <clears throat> they are sometimes not well regarded, um, depending on the tack that they take. Um, so if you are one of those people that thrive off of change, you might be leery of a community that has been stuck in the past because you will be uh, running up against something like this. So interestingly, interestingly enough, you'll want to find newer residents and everybody that is new and doesn't agree with the old way will have to rally around each other and break those old school social ideals um unfortunately depending on the the power and influence of the old guard you may never be able to uh, or uh, let's just say there's a person that was making comments in um, australia about a political leader and somebody firebombed their house so that's what happens when you try and disrupt somebody of influence um and there i think they're still trying to investigate that one but that can happen in a small town it's just not something that makes the news i just happened to hear about it because of all of the news that gets aggregated through hometown so it's interesting um, that somebody wrote an article all about this um, over at the conversation but there are sociological papers or sociology papers um, that actually talk about this as well. Um, and it's basically the dynamic of in and out groups and their um, political influence. It just gets tighter when there's fewer people and uh, they, you know, I mean, you could be in that same small town, the two of you, just you two and the, the new person is on the outs and the old person, the, the, the person that was there all the way, all the time, they're the in group and you're sitting at the same damn counter. You're sharing the same cup of or, or pot of coffee. You are literally in the same place. Yet one person is exerting power over this tiny little speck of a spot as if it matters in the grand scheme of existence, when really all you want to do is make life better instead of just staying stagnant. Um, but that's why they do it. It's all about control, power, influence, stopping change, keeping all of the newfangled stuff from coming into the, and disrupting the culture of the community. Now scale that from this to an entire country and uh, the same word will pop up or should pop up and it's xenophobic um so yeah i i love talking about this kind of stuff but um it's something that definitely could be a, a long term a show onto itself because you'll find articles that are basically representing this kind of thing 
um, shunning the out group for the in group. And it's very, I'm trying not to reduce it entirely to this, but it really does come down to high school politics. You're not That's allowed exactly to sit. That's exactly what it's like, right? It's yeah. like clicks. Yeah, it is. That is, it is a click. The in group is a click. The out group isn't even a click um, because they're not socially together until they are, and then they become a click. And the out group for one is an in group for the others. So <laughs> um, then you have that uh, them versus them kind of, you know, street fight. And it turns into, um, well, politics. So this, uh, this kind of stuff is a hot mess when uh, new people come into an old school town um, and you get that thing like the salsa commercials, New York City. Um, yeah. The AI has witnessed that in person, walking into a, an establishment in a small town and every person turning to look. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes, Didn't, exactly. And that's a visit. That's not a moving to the town. Yep. Um, you, you are new blood and you have a different mannerism, different air about you. Plus you're an AI and a Terminator body. So let's just move on. That's too newfangled for some people. Yeah. yeah the AI can be intimidating. Um, the next article is over in the Warcrafters channel. Every Steam sale and event coming in 2023 has been revealed. I hadn't seen this until uh, this article was submitted. Remember when predicting or guessing the big Steam sales dates was basically a national pastime? It seems so long ago and frankly a little bit weird in hindsight. It was also very stressful for those of us and not, that's not me talking, that's the article uh, writer. Uh, tasked with writing steam sale announcement news now though uh, we can plan our whole year in advance because valve has revealed the dates for every steam sale and fest coming in 2023 and valve changed its steam sale structure in september of 2022 cutting the lunar uh, new year sale from its schedule in favor of a more evenly spaced seasonal schedule which is something that people were talking about um, not necessarily on uh, public websites, but um, there was some discussion about how um, the fests weren't long enough, being only one week and 900 uh, demos. Um, it was rather absurd. So people were making a bunch of content and you would eventually find all of these demos being played by other people, but there was no way in hell that you were going to be able to play them. Um, so you had to just kind of consume it in little fits and starts from people who were actually playing demos um, all over the place, posting them on YouTube and, and VODs there on Twitch. Um, and I was going to say Mixer, but it was it's gone um, anyway. And so I, I think that it should have been um, expanded, but now they have an entire list and maybe more of these fests will uh, facilitate more of this playtime by individuals. This is an article by Andy Chalk over at PC Gamer. It says, we used to have to guess when Steam sales were happening, but now we can plan out the entire year. Uh, you'll be able to follow this link uh, because I, I won't, 
uh, go through it all, but there's apparently things like mystery fast and puzzle fast. And I don't know what shmup is, but there it is. Um, it's over in September. Um, but next fest, uh, which is, um, the one that I'm, I want to play more demos. Um, and as far as I know, it is, that is the time when you get to see more demos. Um, although all of them have, um, demos and stuff like that. I think next fest is like the big one, um, each season. So there's one on June 19th through 26th and, uh, one on October 9th through 16th. Um, the rest of them are kind of, I guess you'll have to follow the link because it, it actually links to, uh, themed sales, uh, all through the year. So 12 months of Christmas folks. So guard your wallet, put it inside a, a big iron chest and lock it with that padlock. That was apparently not put in the bear enclosure at the zoo. And of course I have to just acknowledge the fact that the AI doesn't play games, not these kind of games. So let's just move on now that we made this a little announcement. There's your PSA for the day folks. Um, this next one I thought was really interesting because it's titled how one company in Pakistan recycles over a million pairs of jeans every year. This is pretty neat. Um, it gave me an idea for a product and, uh, so I'll end up looking into it, but uh, like other things, um, probably talk myself out of launching it. Um, the article says we make over 1 billion pairs of jeans every year and nearly all of them end up in landfills. One company in Pakistan is recycling old denim into new pants using laser technology and recycled dye. The country is the number one importer of used clothing and the second largest exporter of denim. I had no idea about any of those stats. Um, I didn't know it produced jeans. I know this article is about recycling them, but. Well, it takes them and then modifies them um, into other types of jeans. So other jeans products, uh, Ryan Bieber and Grant uh, Tyler, by the way, um, I've experimented with the laser because um, we, I have a lab here in hometown and uh, one of those things that I've got is a laser and I've actually experimented with doing this. This is laser distressing. Um, you can basically laser etch a pattern into the jeans and it'll be highlighted like this, kind of like bleaching jeans to increase its appearance of wear. Um, except that this takes seconds and doesn't get anybody wet um, or have to worry about bleaching and over bleaching. You basically take a sample of some jeans and figure out what the intensity, uh, the, the f speed and feed rates of the, the, uh, um, laser needs to be like how powerful and how fast it's running over the jeans. And you can etch into the very surface, the very top surface of the jeans and, and, uh, etch a pattern. It's pretty cool. Um, Ryan Bieber and Grant Tyler, again, are the authors of this over at businessinsider.com. And uh, I guess I can play this video a little bit. There you go. Look at that. And if okay, they... That's a lot of jeans. 
there's a picture for those that are listening or not watching this with the video. Yep. Um, and it looks like a landfill and then they cut them all up and put them into a machine that shreds them. And then I suppose it, it can kind of turn them into paper. It looks like, right? Yeah. I'm not sure what they're, I mean, I'm not sure what they're using them for. That's an amazing amount of recycled clothing. Huh? So uh, I'll let that uh, I'll let the video play. It's only 11 minutes long, so you can follow the link and go over and check it out. If you're in chat uh, or you're reading the VOD, just click that link. And um, I think that's all it is. Yeah, that that's really it's just this really long video. Well, relatively really long video. Um, let me see if I can jump to another aspect of this and see what actually happens. So one part is cotton, another part is um, jeans. Oh, it all gets blended into um, another fabric. And then all woven together again. So they're making new they're making new jeans out of the old jeans and dyeing it all uh, back to blue. They're just not calling it like Levi's. It just is blue jeans. And there's the laser again. Pretty fascinating. This is some serious industrial machinery. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. quite jive with the picture we saw um, of the surrounding area, but it sounds like, I mean, it seems like it's a pretty, um, uh, sophisticated operation. Yeah, it they're basically taking old jeans and some um, virgin wool and then blend, blending it together and then turning it back into a new clothing and uh, what appears to be new jeans, either by splicing the higher quality segments of jeans into um, uh, like patchwork products or wholly reconstituting the blue jeans uh, back together. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, this, uh, um, I don't want to belabor this. I think that you, um, dear viewer and listener should probably click the link. Um, that's going to have the title, how one company in Pakistan recycles over a million pairs of jeans every year. Um, this will all be in the show notes. So let's keep on trucking through these articles. We're about halfway through the show, um, but uh, more than that. This next article is something that I was waiting to find out because there's an investigation that's taking place. This is in the Daily News show. Um, new details emerge about cause of Ohio train derailment. Uh, this actually comes um, aggregated from Newsweek.com, and Anna Skinner is the author. Um, yeah, I don't know what this is like a Trump video, but anyway, a failed wheel bearing led to the derailment of a Norfolk Southern train in East Palestine, right? I am pronouncing it correct. Palestine, Ohio. It's not Palestine. 
Um, the National Transportation Safety Board said Thursday. People in East Palestine, Ohio, have been waiting for answers since the February 3rd incident about why 38 of the 149 cars derailed, and um, it, including some that were carrying toxic chemicals. And the report that I had read, uh, which really might be just the journal, uh, a journalist writing this based off of interviews with people, but is that a subsequent fire caused 12 uh, damage to 12 other cars but out of the 12 cars not necessarily these that were damaged in the fire but out of 12 cars that were apparently carrying toxic chemicals 11 of them were punctured so it's almost <coughs> pardon me final destination level pardon me one second wow I like just pulled a muscle in my neck. I was coughing so hard. Um, I ate peanuts before doing the show. And I think one is just tickling me still in the back of my throat. That's overshare. I know folks, but that's me. That's, that's marijuana. Free of peanut allergies in hometown. Yeah. I don't know. I, maybe I'm picking one up. Um, anyway, since the derailment, East Palestine residents have reported what appears to be chemicals rising from creek beds, dead animals, and concerning physical side effects. Uh, meanwhile, the governor is saying, no, the water's fine. No, 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 I don't want any iced tea from East Palestine. Thank you, though. I really appreciate you uh, being homie, um, but no, thanks. I, 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 I don't want any ice. No, I, I've got bottled water. Oh, and guess who gave it to me? Anyway. I'll leave that out there. Just let that. Sorry, but there is another water article um, that we didn't feature that talked about. I think the governor, is it the governor? Somebody was drinking like small sips of water, trying to show that it was safe to drink the water, which was kind of amusing. <laughs> I didn't see that. That's hilarious. I don't know if the governor, but I anyway, that was in Gnometown today too. Some admin was sitting there saying, "No, it's fine," but they're like taking these little thimble sips. Right. I'd probably walk up and go, look, take a big chug. You know, everybody needs an opposable tail. Just go for it. Do it. You want to be a superhero, right? Anyway, the investigation continues and NTSB announced that it'll focus the investigation on the train's wheel set and bearings, as well as tank car design and damage from the derailment. We have stronger cars that could handle a derailment like this. Um, now, the volume of those cars is dramatically smaller, but then when they derail, they don't do this, right? They don't destroy an ecosystem um, and, and cause people to get sick and animals to die. Um, so, but like I've been saying for the last publicly for the last year and a half, <clears throat> you can't become a billionaire <laughs> by doing things that are socially correct you have to stand on people's necks to get to the next brass ring you have to be sociopathic um, to make your business uh, as inhumane as humanly possible while still saying that you're a you're a human powered business um, there are billionaires that are running businesses like this meanwhile there are people that cannot live in the towns where these businesses are driving through 
Um, but they're working for this very business, you know? Um, there was a recent report um, where it was described to uh, JP Morgan, which now credit cards are going to go through the roof and we're going to lose JP Morgan Chase as a sponsor and, and maybe credit lines canceled. Um, but a description of somebody that's working for JP Morgan Chase couldn't even afford rent in the very city where JP, uh, JP Morgan Chase exists. Um, because at the end of the day, they were only making $16, $16.50 an hour. Um, but the average rent was $1,600 a month, which at the end of the day left them negative $500. Um, and that was before any medical stuff, any clothing, um, pretty much anything. So meanwhile, CEO is a billionaire managing trillions of dollars so you 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 can't you can't be <laughs> you have to be a sociopathic i'm sorry um i shouldn't belabor this but did you want to say anything about this by the way i mean there's um, more to this article no i mean i'm glad that they're launching a full investigation um it seems like we already kind of know what led to it but Hopefully we'll see more and maybe that'll prompt some change in the transportation industry. Yeah. I really don't like the way that Newsweek interjected somebody that is just a clout chasing whatever. Okay. Got to move on. Um, the next article is over on the daily news show. Dr. Sue's holiday favorite, how the Grinch stole Christmas is getting a sequel this fall, more than 60 years after the original was published. The holiday classic, How the uh, Grinch Stole Christmas, is getting a sequel this year. Random House and Dr. Seuss Enterprises announced the follow-up, slated for September. The story is the latest in a list of titles published under Theodore Dr. Seuss Geisel's name since um, his death in 1991, nearly 66 years after the release of the original holiday classic. Um, it's going to be hitting the market. I think that's really fascinating. Um, I'm calling it the snow piercer of how the Grinch stole Christmas, but maybe it won't be so dystopian. Aaron McDade over at business insider, put this article together, man, I really want to announce my other project. Um, because the two stories that have already been created are a lot of fun. Um, do you think you can announce it when it's ready to go? All right. All right. Um, yes, AI, I won't announce anything. I'm really bad with secrets like this. Uh, anyway, so random house and Dr. Seuss enterprises announces, uh, a follow up and what is it going to be called? How, the, how Grinch the Grinch lost Christmas, lost Christmas. Correct. The sequel titled how the Grinch lost Christmas is set a year after the original story ends. I don't want to read more of this um, because it might be a spoiler to the story and uh, I don't want to be responsible for the Dumbledore dies of Dr. Seuss. Um, so it says, um, well, you know what? I'm, I, I, I just, I'm 
my brain is locking up because as I'm reading the material, I feel like I'm getting dangerously close to um, spoiling something, right? Ignited. They talk about igniting a de debate about cancel culture, causing several other popular Dr. Seuss titles like Green Eggs and Ham to rise to the top of Amazon's bestseller list. Um, I, without a doubt, believe that this will rise to the top of the bestsellers list because uh, so many people just flat out love Dr. Seuss. Uh, but there's the artwork, How the Grinch Lost Christmas um, is going to be... Huh. I'm sorry? I was going to say, I think there's at least three generations of people who are very familiar with how the Grinch stole Christmas, whether through the books or the movies. So, yeah, I think this is going to get a lot of attention when it comes out. And since it's been released, every single parent has shown Dr. Seuss books to their children. And there's enough, like you said, enough time has gone on that the grandparents are reading it to their grandkids. And even maybe we're on the cusp of the great-grandparents watching the grandparents sit around with the parents reading it to the latest generation. You know, I mean, I, I can see where there's probably four generations um, since Dr. Seuss hit the shelves. So th this will immediately hit number one uh, upon release. So I think it's fascinating that uh, Random House just kind of snatched that up, but it's kind of a Harry Potter thing, you know? Other people tried to bring it, or I should say the they sought publishers and were turned away, and then one really small publisher says, yeah, we'll take the risk, and then it just blows up. This this has provenance. This is going to hit number one immediately. So let's move on to the next article. I'm sorry. In October or November, that's what I'm guessing. Probably before it actually sells, it will be number one on pre-sales. Um, the first pangolin in Europe, born in Prague Zoo, doing well. A Chinese pangolin has been born in the Prague Zoo, the first birth of the uh, critically endangered animal in Europe. If you've never seen a pangolin, that is not a pangolin. Um, uh, let me let me rewind. There we go. There is a pangolin. That thing right there. That is a stuffed animal down below. And that's a person with blue gloves. What the heck? Okay, I'm going to... Let me... Okay. I don't know what's going to happen. But anyway, pangolin... No, 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 no. You... No. Anyway... Folks, uh, apologies for how the sausage is made, but I can't control this video to actually just sit and, and pause on that pangolin. But the, it's an Associated Press article over at abcnews.go.com. And maybe they got another picture somewhere. Um, otherwise, they've just irritated me. And uh, it's hard to explain what a pangolin is without actually seeing it. Um, but it's basically an armored... Um, what is the, I had described it earlier when we were talking. Like an armadillo or a Gila monster? Uh, Gila monster. It's basically an armored Gila monster. So you kind of cross an armadillo 
um, but with um, scales more than bands. Um, and yeah, I mean, if it, if it actually had armor, you would think that it had uh, plate mail um, and was a knight. But this is it's it's a lizard. Um, so I'm kind of reducing it uh, <laughs> in its provenance as well. Uh, but the Chinese pangolin is native to southern China and e uh, Southeast Asia uh, and is one of the four pangolin species living in Asia, while another four can be found in Africa. And the Prague, and Prague uh, received the rare animal from Taiwan last year, becoming only the second European zoo to keep the species. I wish that they had more pictures, but they don't. Um, it says they're difficult to breed in captivity because they require a special feed that includes drone larvae and need a particular humidity and temperature in their enclosure. So they're all kinds of high maintenance. And then trying to get two pangolins uh, to bump in the night, so to speak, uh, to make other pangolins. Well, I don't know what the a collection of pangolins are, but um, yeah, I guess I'm you could call it that. Pangolin. Pangolin Nini or something. <laughs> Pangolin Nita, Nito, uh, Nino. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> anyway, uh, they uh, apparently did the right things, and and ta-da, you have a baby pangolin. So, uh, it's hard to explain what a pangolin is, and I, <laughs> since I send uh, people all over the place, clicking links, just do a search for pangolin. Um, if you want me to spell it, it's P-A-N-G-O-L-I-N. Do that search and you'll get all kinds of stuff. So there were two things in here um, that I wanted to mention. One is that they're heavily hunted. And so that's part of the problem uh, with the pangolin population. But also for this specific one, they had to introduce cat milk in order to get the mother um, to be able to... I guess feed the um, feeder offspring. Interesting, right? Mm -hmm. That little bit right there. A program of, of artificial fee feeding with milk from a cat was introduced and the mother was stimulated to produce more of her own. And apparently that turned things around according to the article. How does somebody wake up one day and go, you know what I'm going to try? <laughs> I have no idea how they came to that conclusion. Uh, the next article is over on the Hatch Ideas channel. UK salad shortages could last a month, warns Environment Secretary. Um, anecdotally, everybody that I've talked to about this has said that that's not, it, it's not, it's only a UK issue. Um, but UK is blaming things in a, another region as impacting uh, the UK salad um, supply shortages of salad and other vegetables in UK supermarkets could last up to a month. The environment secretary said as the government was accused of bringing the problem on itself by failing to support local growers and through Brexit policies, uh, ding, ding, ding. Uh, let's just go straight over to the guardian, Sarah Butler and they italicized and, and, Helena or Helena Horton 
Um, so yeah, you're not going to find any lettuce apparently. I don't know how people are. It's not like you can just scoop it all up and sell a gray market uh, over on what salad bay or something like that. Um, so people are buying it and they have to consume it almost immediately. You can't really save lettuce for very long. Um, so empty shelves, they went fast empty. Uh, so they need to do what I've been suggesting, which is vertical farming within small communities and just have a bunch of them. Um, you're not getting, you can still get those cost savings because it's not like you need a lot in a given region versus millions of dollars worth of equipment to farm it in bulk by one company. And then when that one company completely screws up, there's no supply. <laughs> uh, but in small communities, at least you have it somewhat balkanized where the quality can be monitored. Anybody can, you can hire people to monitor the, uh, the vertical farm and if somebody kind of wets the bed and and doesn't produce enough then you can uh literally farm out the position and get somebody else to come in and, and do the job um i just don't like the food supply being owned wholly by one corporation or one person you can have multiple people that want to vie for uh control of the small region like cell phone towers that you cover 20 miles um, and have two vertical farms competing higher quality lower price bigger turnout uh, of a crop breeds success and the customers are the winners with low cost high quality product this is just wild why is there a shortage so responding to an urgent question about the empty shelves in supermarkets, Coffee said, I'm led to believe by my officials after discussion with industry and retailers, we anticipate the situation will last about another two to four weeks. The issue is a shortage that could take some time to resolve after Tesco, Asda, Aldi, and Morrison's introduced limits on purchases of items, including tomatoes, cucumbers, peppers, owing to shortages partly caused by a cold spell in southern Spain and North Africa. You know what you don't have to worry about in a vertical farm? Weather, climate change. Uh, insects, uh, drought, blah, blah, blah. I mean, everything that is... You don't have to worry about conflict in, in North Africa. You don't have to worry about transport from Spain to the UK. <laughs> you can literally supply your own materials. All you need is water and some nutrient. And that can be created literally by the gallon. So, um, I think this is rather absurd and it's one of the same it's part and parcel to the uh, idea that businesses are controlling the fate um, instead of society being allowed to step up and and decide their fate more um, 
we are going to end up in a day and age where vertical farming is the only solution because the environment is basically getting poisoned by, I don't know, uh, greedy bastards who make their trains fall over. Did we just lose? Oh, the greedy bastard sponsorship? Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> I think we lost that one a long time ago. We want to move on to the next article? Yeah, let's do that. So the next article is over in the Law Nerd Channel. Florida man impersonates general counsel, law firm partner, and fake Epstein probe. We won't go too far into this Epstein probe thing, but uh, suffice it to say that somebody is in legal trouble because uh, they posed as general counsel and another senior level executive at two financial firms in Manhattan, New York City, and directed personnel to do something. So let's go and check it out. This is over at ABA Journal, which is borderline above the law.com in levels of uh, their writing and, and some of their snark kind of comes out. Uh, Amanda Robert is the author of this over at abajournal.com. And so it says here uh, that they represented themselves as senior level executive at two financial firms in Manhattan, New York City, and directed personnel to pay for fake internal investigations that were supposed to be uh, determined whether there were ties between people in those firms and deceased multimillionaire financier Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, federal prosecutors have alleged in a complaint, criminal complaint, that was unsealed last week. Huh. So Damian Williams, the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, announced February 17th that Jonathan Gertler, 60, of Orlando, Florida, also allegedly posed as a partner of an international law firm in conversations with federal agents who were investigating the scheme. Gertler was charged with one count of wire fraud, which carries a maximum sentence of 20 years in prison. You know, if you piss off somebody rich, you're getting crushed by a criminal complaint um, in prison sentence. Uh, Gertler impersonated some of the most prominent figures in finance and law to defraud companies of over a million dollars and convince federal investigators to stop their investigation into a scheme. Interesting. Um, Bloomberg reports that Gertler was charged by federal prosecutors in New York in 2001 for posing as a partner in six of the largest U.S. law firms, Gertler, who conned them into paying about $200,000, was sentenced to 71 months in prison. What the heck? So Law 360, Law 360 has coverage of it. Bloomberg has coverage of it. Uh, ABAJournal.com is reporting from both of those points. Um, and then it kind of breaks into... Um, some knock-on stuff about um, Epstein and I guess using it as leverage to insinuate himself into the law firms even though there's uh, they had nothing to do with I, I don't understand what trust but verify is anymore um, just because somebody walks up to you and says that they're an attorney for a law firm the next very next step that I would do would be contacting a representative of that law firm and say who the hell is this guy I would probably even take I mean I am but because of the field that I work in you know I am more interested in that trust but verify mechanism I would probably 
This is a shadowy person coming out of the out of a vacuum saying that they are this. I would probably surreptitiously take a picture of this person and show it to somebody. Is this person with your law firm? Some law firms are big, though. This what do you is think? such an elaborate scheme, don't you think? I mean, this is not like, oh, let me just take some money from somebody. It kind of makes you wonder how this was dreamed up because it's just not something you hear about in other fraud schemes. Well, I mean, it's such a high profile thing with gobs of money actually floating around. But why wouldn't somebody investigate this before $200,000 gets exfiltrated from the business? Well, exactly. And if these, particularly in the first batch of these um, where you serve prison time, um, like these are major law firms. And so, for instance, did anybody ever try to meet with this person at the law firm's offices or go to the law firm's website, right? I mean, I, there are just so many questions. I mean, it's obvious that at some point they were tripped into action somehow, but probably when an accountant was sitting there looking at client codes and, and uh, assessing fiscal liability, we just gave somebody $200,000 and there's no client code. <laughs> well, what's the client ID and for what action is this being assigned to? Which account did this actually come from? And why doesn't anybody know who the hell this person actually is? Um, there has to be some ethics issues within the firms for this to have been, and I think that's why the guns were blazing at this person, you know, 71 months, 20 years, um, for one count of wire fraud. Come on now. I mean, it says one count of aggravated identity theft, um, but they were representing themselves as more than one person. So that one person must be very big, very powerful, very connected, and wants to make sure that Gertler walks around saying, yeah, I'm in prison for the next 20 years because I took this person's identity and they crushed me. <laughs> um, and, you know, to me, I would say, yeah, that's fine. Um, I, I have no real problem with this. Um, other than it should never have happened to begin with because the moment that somebody you can't even pay 500 you can't ignore 500 bucks in a law firm because it's down to the minute in your fiscal responsibility your audit you know depending on the firm you're doing 15 minutes you're doing five minutes you're doing three minutes you're billing per minute essentially where did $200,000 vaporize to from which account going to who, who authorized it? I'm astonished that it got that far. 
I mean, doesn't this make you think that there's potentially going to be a network of people who are indicted? Because I just can't see that this was a one-person operation. I mean, maybe it was, but... And it says, beginning in May 2021, Gertler began impersonating the founder of a different investment firm and directed the CEO of one of the firm's portfolio companies to, to pay at least $865,000 for a similar fake internal investigation into relationships with Epstein, according to the criminal complaint. See, it's such a nuclear bomb that nobody's going to sit there and walk up to somebody and say, Hey, are you involved in this investigation of Epstein? And they're going to go, Oh, we don't talk about that kind of stuff here. Or, or they're going to go, I don't know anything about it. And the other person is going to sit there and go, Oh, okay. This is like CIA level shit. You know, um, don't ask, don't tell kind of mentality. But the moment that I see, you know, any billable, I would be asking questions. No way in hell am I writing a check for this or a wire transfer. Somebody in senior leadership had to have had communication um, before I were the one responsible for, you know, doing a wire transfer for $200,000, let alone $865,000. So I wonder who got fired in these law firms. Let's move on to the next article. Um, the last one for tonight is in the Warcrafters channel and it is Dreamlight Valley players have been investigating a potato mystery for months. It might be that last law firm uh, article. That's a potato mystery for sure. For several months, Disney's uh, Dreamlight Valley players have been trying to solve an in-game mystery that revolves around a seemingly useless golden potato. In the last week, one useless mystery potato has become two, and now the spuds are even morphing into potions with no obvious. I They threw in an extra no um, with no obvious purpose, I suppose, and no end in sight. Um, the original golden potato was earned via redeemable Dreamlight Valley code which the author assumed was a test run for the kind of premium currency that many live service games use. Uh, and it may still prove to be according to this author. So let's go over to uh, pcgamer.com. Lauren Morton is the author. Nobody knows where the trail of morphing spuds will lead. And uh, there's a very angry princess there uh, holding a golden potato and a few other things. I don't know what the rest of this stuff is, but I don't play this game, uh, but I thought it was interesting that there is a golden potato mystery that's been going on for months in a game uh, that actually came out a little while back and I thought would just be nothing. It would come out and just kind of languish like a lot of Disney games. They're they're popular, but they seem to fly under the radar. But this came out, boom, and a whole bunch of people were playing it on Twitch. Um, it was interesting for a short period to watch this, but it was basically, um, uh, I don't know, a little bit more broad um, Farmville kind of a thing because you'd be planting stuff and essentially you cook and craft and, and do all kinds of stuff. It's not really a survival game, but you do tasks. 
Um, it's actually kind of fun to watch, but I'm not going to direct you to it. Um, other than it's on Steam, you can watch videos of it. There are people playing it on Twitch probably right now. So the red item in the picture was a red potato related to ratatouille. Oh, well, thank you very much for... I don't know about the other item, though. I had to hit the cough button and I was just losing it, losing it. Uh, I don't know what's going on. Really dry air in uh, Ohm Town right now. But anyway, nobody knows what the potions do. Apparently, the golden potion has the power of the sun to bring warmth to something gone cold. Could this be kind of uh, uh, what? what's the movie with? Oh, Frozen. Duh. Maybe uh, there's going to be a new mechanic where Frozen is going to freeze over the Dreamlight Valley and you'll have to use golden potatoes to warm it. I, I don't know, uh, but uh, we'll keep an eye out on this. It says if you're keen to keep up with the developments, you'll want to find your way to the Disney Dreamlight Valley official discord and if you just want the latest walkthrough, uh, there's a player called Lady Jane that's compiled the findings in a handy cheat sheet for potato potions. Um, to find this, you'll have to follow that link through Ometown or just go over to PCGamer.com and do a search for Dreamlight Valley. Players have been investigating a potato mystery for months. It's written by Lauren Morton. Um, but that's it for today uh, over at the Ometown Daily News Show. I always bring you back to the front. There's a, a sign as you enter Ometown that says, uh, welcome to Ometown, get the hell out of here. No, it doesn't say that. Um, it says, get off our land. No, that's not what it says either. It says, welcome to Ometown, and there's nothing else there. It says, population you. Um, welcome to Ometown. Please stay, sign up, become a citizen. Uh, we always do this show at 9 p.m. Eastern on twitch just go to twitch.tv slash ohmtown o-h-m-t-o-w-n you can also get long-term storage of the videos over at youtube again just do a search for ohmtown will pop up um all of the videos except uh, all of them are easily accessible except for the there was a time where i was doing live on both twitch and youtube uh and it made it really clunky over on youtube uh, so if you go over there, you'll find a segment of older videos. You can search these and find, uh, show notes and whatnot in, in our history over there. You can also download it via a podcast. If you do a search for hometown, we're the one that pops up. That too has been going since, uh, January 1st, 2022, not that long, but I mean, in the grand scheme of streaming and, and, and news and whatnot, uh, but I would love to see you here at Twitch. That's where we're doing it live and you get to hear how the sausage is made, but just know everybody gets to hear how the sausage is made because I don't edit this stuff. I don't like the idea. I, I, except for chopping off the beginning and end where it's just empty, uh, I don't edit it because I want you to know exactly what I say, what the AI says. Um, you get everything that we are saying. So it's completely transparent and, and nobody says you're editing out this or that or the other. Uh, no, 
uh, I want to interact with everybody live. So please come over to twitch.tv slash hometown and hang out uh, with the AI and Marwat. You want to say bye or do you want to say anything else? Do you want to say more than bye? Good evening, hometown citizens. Um, it's almost Friday. We'll see you tomorrow. That's right, folks. Yeah, for many people around the world, it's already Friday. It is five o'clock somewhere. I'm going to go get some rum punch. Ta-ta, everybody. Cheers. See you tomorrow. 